Spoken Word, half an hour of poetry and performance, your connection to Melbourne's grassroots poetry scene, the voice of those of us who have nothing but our voices. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. 3CR broadcasts from the unceded land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to elders past, present and into the future. We're excited in Melbourne to be hosting US poet Desiree Della Giacomo, currently touring New South Wales and making her way here for two shows and a workshop starting on Friday the 11th of October. This is her poem, At Last, as a taster. In Kentucky, Kim Davis refuses to marry same-sex couples. Kim, let me tell you about my mother and her wife, how they found each other after 49 years. Their wedding was open park August, and my mother walked the aisle to edit James at last. And at the sight of her, my stepmother wept. And we should all want to love like that. You think opinion can fit here. You think you are so mighty you can protest magic. You and your stubborn bigot God shake your fist at love and you must not know. Love can heal an entire country, make two women whole, pull them from the ashes of their own life. You spend five days in jail and cry on camera. My mother spends 50 years in purgatory and loves still and you should learn to bow and pray to that glory, worship that God. Kim, your moment will burn out. My mother, her wife, their two dogs will love still at last. That was U.S. touring poet Desiree Della Giacomo with her poem At Last, courtesy of Button Poetry. Desiree is on her way to Melbourne and I spoke to her on the phone a short time ago. Thank you for joining us. Mm-hmm. Thank you for having me. How's the tour been so far? It's been good. I haven't done a ton. I got here a little bit early to kind of get my wits about me. But I've done a workshop and a show in Wollongong, and I did um, a show in Wyong, and I did some stuff in Newcastle, and I did a reading and a book talk in Sydney. And it's all been really amazing so far. Is this your first time to Australia? It's not. I actually came here three years ago and did a couple of shows on the East Coast and then did the Red Dirt Poetry Festival in Alice Springs, which was really incredible. I spent about a week in Alice Springs, which whenever I tell Australians that, they're always a little surprised that I have been there um, and not really many other places. (laughs) Uh, Where are you from in, uh, in the United States? Yeah, so I grew up in Northern California in a small city called Chico, and I live in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Louisiana is in um, the southern United States, and Baton Rouge is the capital of the state of Louisiana. So very different from the Red Dirt Center. (laughs) Pretty different. um, Red Dirt reminded me very, very much of uh, New Mexico in the United States. It's very, very similar feeling and looking. And um, New Mexico is a high desert, so it has that same kind of red dirt. So it was very foreign, but also very similar to me. I've just been playing for the listeners uh, at last or at last, which is, uh, <laughs> it's very pertinent here in Australia because we only legalized same-sex marriage at the end of 2017. Was it a similar fight in the United States? You know, it's a little bit different. I'm from Northern California, which is, California is kind of a different 
beast in the rest of the United States. We're always kind of 10 years ahead. <laughs> but it was, yeah, it was um, kind of surprisingly very similar in that um, I feel like the legalization of same-sex marriage was kind of um, long overdue. And it kind of, if I remember correctly, it passed in California, but because it wasn't passed nationally, um, there were some complications there. But in the States, a lot of people um, got married uh, the day after it was legalized. What do you think drives such fierce opposition to it? <laughs> uh, extreme religion, I think, is a part of it. And uh, I think that... There are a lot of people that are in power that um, feel worried about losing power all over the world, but specifically in the United States. And I think because so much of the United States politics are intertwined with religion, sometimes it's hard to tell the difference. And I think that it's um, some, some people that are very Christian believe that marriage is between a man and a woman. And um, I think that's kind of what drove it. But I, I mean, I'm 29 and grew up in California. And so I kind of, I mean, it, it kind of just felt really silly to me that it was even, <laughs> it was even up for debate, you know. How did you get into poetry? Yeah, so I really started getting into poetry in my early 20s. I moved to Baton Rouge when I was 19, and I started going to the local open mic there called Eclectic Truth, and I started reading on that open mic, and I met some mentors really quickly, and then I became an intern at um, a youth spoken word organization, and I um, started shadowing some teaching artists that taught poetry and that all kind of happened simultaneously. I started reading and uh, reading on open mics and writing poetry and then kind of teaching poetry at the same time. So that was 10 years ago and then I became, I went on to become the program director for that organization in which I designed um, creative writing curriculum and um, I designed uh, performance poetry programming for about four years and in that same time I was doing really well in um, American, the American slam poetry circuit. And then I also had a couple videos on YouTube that got a lot of views. And all of that kind of propelled me into this really unique position in which I can be um, a writer and a poet full time while also teaching poetry. So um, currently I'm a full time touring poet, but before that, about a year ago, up until a year ago, I was teaching creative writing and spoken word programming, and then also doing kind of shows on the side. So I got really involved in the Baton Rouge poetry community, which was really, really nurturing. And then opportunities just kind of um, started to show up. And I was like, hey, this is pretty cool. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> it must be in your blood. If You seem to have taken to it pretty quickly. Yeah, I think the thing that kind of made it stick was that there were a lot of people that that told me to keep doing it and they really threw their weight behind me and I feel I feel really fortunate for that. I think if there wasn't mentors in my community that at a young age, you know, in my early 20s, they told me that they believed in my writing, I don't think I would have kept writing. I think I just did it uh, for a hobby and then very quickly people were like, hey, you're pretty good at this and that's kind of what kept me going and if it weren't for that I don't think I would have had the kind of um, mm, the kind of uh, confidence to keep going or the kind of even thought that it could be my full-time job but a lot of people 
um, really, really, really supported me along the way and, and still do. And I think that that's definitely a huge part of it. Would you say it's a very thriving community? I would say it depends. Um, I think being a full-time poet and writer and performer is hard. It's tough gig and it's not easy to do. Um, but I think that poetry in general is really having a moment, at least in the United States, where poetry books are, are doing their highest numbers ever and um, different types of people are, are, are getting success in poetry, not just the classic academic older white dude. There's a lot of people that don't fit that bill that are um, getting some traction and able to um, kind of show up in spaces that historically have just been for a very specific type of person. So I think in the United States, it's definitely having um, a moment. Could you attribute that to anything, do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think um, there's a poet named Rupi Kaur, and she's on Instagram, and she got really, really popular, and her book has sold, like, millions of copies. Um, and she she started her poetry on Instagram, and some people have lots of feelings about that. But the at the end of the day, that is where it's accessible to people that are not necessarily going to go into a bookshop and, and thumb through books of poetry to find one they love. It's short, it's consumable, and it's accessible. Um, poetry is no longer only in a small section in a bookstore um, and not even in every bookstore, but, but you can get it on Instagram, you can get it on YouTube, you can get it on Twitter, you can get it all over the place in places that you haven't been able to. And so more people have access to it and more people are, are writing it that they um, are able to witness people that have historically, I think, not felt like they have space in, in poetry. And now the faces of poets, I think, um, the reach is so much wider and they, they look a lot different, I think, than they have in the past. Do you think the political climate has anything to do with it? Yeah, you know, someone said that to me the other day. I can't remember who, but I, but I, it was here when I was doing a show, and and oh, it was it was an older man in Wyong. He came up and talked to me and asked that same exact question. And um, I think that's that's absolutely true. And I think that's absolutely part of it is that poets are the storytellers of generations, and the political climate and the world is changing so much right now that I think people are really leaning into poets and storytellers. Um, and I think, yeah, I hadn't necessarily thought about it explicitly until I was asked it at this show in, in Wyong, and I think that that's a really astute um, observation, and I think it, it has to be related, for sure. In the time that you've been away from Australia and come back, have you noticed a difference? You know, I didn't spend a ton of time here last time, but what I will say is I've had the opportunity to witness <clears throat> more poets since I've been here. I've had some off days, which I've gone to different readings and just listened. And um, yeah, it's been really cool to hear Australian poets and to hear what matters to Australian writers. Um, and a lot of it overlaps, but a lot of it is is super region and country specific and that's been really eye-opening for me and really wonderful I remember last time when I came in 2016 I just felt like I learned so much I mean I'm like I'm so American and <laughs> being I feel I feel most American out of America and um, I was really grateful and really humbled by what I learned from Australian poets about what matters to folks here and how 
you know, the world is so big and what matters to us ranges so much. And sometimes it's the exact same thing, but sometimes it's so different. So um, being in Alice for the festival um, was really amazing. And then being able to spend some time on, I, I did shows in, last time I was here, I did shows in Canberra and Wollongong and Sydney and Brisbane. And I taught at some schools and that was a really big gift to me. But I think um, I have had the opportunity to hear more. And so I'm getting a deeper understanding for sure. Your poetry deals with uh, grief a lot and abuse and trauma. How do you look after yourself while you're touring and performing that? Yeah, I mean, I definitely choose which poems I perform wisely (laughs) and I choose them based on the space that I'm in. When I was a younger performer, I used to come with a set list and perform what I had planned on performing. But now, you know, I've been doing this for for 10 years and I've been doing it professionally for about five. And I really enjoy being in a space and then kind of picking what to read from there, which makes me feel more connected to the work. It makes me feel prouder of my work and it makes me feel more um, intentional and more in conversation with the poets and the space. And I think that that helps in taking care of myself as a writer because I'm not just like doing poems just to do them. I'm definitely choosing them. And there are lots of poems that I don't perform or probably never will perform because, um, you know, it's at the at the heart of it, I'm putting on a show and um, I'm connecting with the audience and I'm creating, helping create a genuine moment. And um, people can only take, <laughs> take so much heaviness at once. And so I don't, <laughs> despite what it might look like if you read my book, my, my sets are not all sad and somber. <laughs> I can hear those cockatoos now. <laughs> They're so loud, I know. They're amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes, you know, places will book me and they'll be like, you have an hour. And I'm like, no one can listen to one poet for an hour. (laughs) No matter if you love the poet and everything they've ever done, you just can't intake that much from from one person or one show. Um, I don't really ever go into a room with my palms picked out because it does feel um, like in order to respect the space, really sitting in it and, and, and thinking of the audience. And sometimes I have more opportunity to do that than others. I absolutely love hearing other poets in the community first, and I will always try to do that, to um, have local poets read before me, because I love poetry. And I also am interested in what the, you know, the locals of, of the land are, are concerned with and are thinking about and um, are reading about. And I'd love to sit in the audience. Um, as an educator, and as somebody who teaches poetry to young people, sometimes the poet is for the audience and sometimes the audience is for the poet. And I definitely respect that too. But as somebody who is being paid to perform, I am not, the audience is, is, not, is not for me. You're doing a workshop when you come to Melbourne? I am. I have two readings and I have one workshop. So my First reading is with Mother Tongue on uh, October 11th, and that's at Second Story Studios. And then um, the big show is with Melbourne Spoken Word on the 12th at Brunswick Mechanic Institute. And then the next day, um, I'm doing a workshop at SightWorks, and that's at 1 p.m. And I'm super excited for that. I How I run it is we'll read some poems, we'll talk about it, um, we'll write our own poems, and then you have the opportunity to share your poem with a group if you'd like. So I love to just kind of open with conversation and kind of set some 
standards for what they're um, expecting and wanting. Same kind of thing as being a poet. When I was a young teacher, I would always come in with like solid lesson plan, every minute filled. But as I've become a better teacher, um, same kind of thing. I come in with a plan, but it's always flexible depending on the group. So I've led a couple workshops since I've been here. They've, they've been totally different. I did one at the National Young Writers Fest on performance, and then I did one with Enough Said here in Wollongong um, on, uh, where we wrote and talked about how just our being is political, which is the same workshop that I'm doing in Melbourne, kind of talking about how we talk about the world at large with our own experiences, which is <laughs> to circle back kind of what that poem at last tries to do, right? It's a political moment, but it's about my own personal life and where I fall into that. And I think um, for me, the, the strength of writing comes from telling a very specific story that can move an audience or be relatable. Um, and I think we talk about the world at large by figuring out how to tell stories about ourselves. There's a line in one of your poems that um, always strikes me as a we are the seeds of monsters poverty makes of men. Mm-hmm. Do you think capitalism has a lot to answer for violence? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I have. Um, and that was something I grappled with in writing the book and when thinking about her, our place in the world. I grew up um, really poor. I'm the youngest of six kids with a single mom. And um, I grew up close to as poor as you can grow up in America. Um and I, as I got older and started to understand the world more, I started to understand that, like, it's not the individual's fault for their circumstance, especially those of us that um, do have marginalized identities. We can be, we're taught to be really, really hard on ourselves. And um, I think that's the root of imposter syndrome. That's the root of being scared to promote ourselves as poets is we've been told our whole lives that we're unworthy, undeserving because of largely what capitalism tells us, what the patriarchy tells us, what racism tells us, all of those things. Um, and I think, yeah, I mean, I think capitalism is <laughs> the root of all evil for sure. <laughs> and I think being able to identify that. Um, has been super important for me, and that's where I can write from, is, is understanding what, when I was younger, what I used to be so confused and upset about, understanding them as systems, and then writing the story of being inside that system without saying, um, you know, capitalism owes me. I can write a poem that can kind of get to the heart of that. And your debut book, Sync, what was the inspiration behind it? Yeah, so that's out through Button Poetry, and um, that's I have it with me, and that's what I'm on the road with. Um, I started with about seven poems and um, got the book deal and then kind of wrote myself into the book. And many of those poems that I started with, probably the first 20, there's only probably five of them left in the book, but... Um, I had to kind of write through all these poems, get them in a collection to then kind of start to figure out what my next story is or what the next thing I'm going to write is. But I think for Sync, Sync is the title poem in the book, which um, was the first time I really wrote about being hospitalized when I was 17, when I was in high school. I was in a mental institution for a couple of weeks and I never, as long as I've been a writer, that was kind of always the thing I never really wrote about. I write kind of started writing about the people around me which felt safer and it feels much harder to write about myself and so I think the book is a journey of that it's finding you know being the youngest of six kids and coming from a poor working class family it was very easy to get lost in 
the narratives of those around me. And I think in writing the book, I was able to kind of find myself in relation to those around me and and separate from it. And so when I wrote Sync, uh, which was just not too long ago, um, it was my real first dive into totally talking about myself in a really um, direct and isolated way in a way that was really scary for me. And how did you feel about it when it when it finally came out and you could hold it in your hands? Oh, man, um, the whole gamut of emotions. I mean, I felt like <laughs> there's a point in working in a manuscript where you just are like so sick of the poems and you're so over it. <laughs> and so I definitely felt that. Um, and then when I actually got the first run of books in the mail and opened it, it was, um, I was nervous about how the book was actually going to physically look because it's hard to conceptualize, you know, when you're staring at it on a screen, but to think about how it physically looks bound. I mean, it was honestly breathtaking for me because I, I was just, I was just expecting there to be a mistake or something to be messed up or, you know, something to make it not perfect. But when I got the books, I mean, all of that kind of went away and it was kind of like, wow, I, I wrote this thing and now you can walk into any bookstore in the United States and, and get it. And it was this moment where, um, you know, my family has always been really supportive, but now they could like, you know, go into a bookstore and find my book. And that was huge for them and huge for telling their friends and um, huge for talking about what I do as a, as a professional. So um, it was really cool to kind of be, to kind of have this legitimizing thing. Uh, and it's really amazing to have at gigs because I get to just read from it. I get to just like pick from 60 poems, um, which allows me to walk into the room and not be totally planned and feel comfortable with it and I definitely have the ones I go to but it's really cool to kind of have this basically portfolio of my work with me and I can kind of hear someone's poem and then flip to a poem that can be in conversation with that so that's that's really um, amazing to have too it's been out for about six months and it's still amazing to walk into a bookstore and see it I look forward to hearing from it yeah I'm excited to read in Melbourne thank you very much for joining us today thank you so much for having me Brendan I really uh, appreciate it and uh, we'll see you in a couple of days. Yeah, I'll see you all in a couple of days. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Visit the 3CR website at 3cr.org.au forward slash podcast to hear the most recent recording from each show or 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming to listen live. You're on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. The program is Spoken Word. My name is Brendan Bonsack. My next guest today is Jan Juck poet and artist Camille Barr. Camille has just released a book of poetry called Rise, Democratize, which examines the political and economic structures we've created and what they mean for human happiness and freedom. Watch your language. Words weave in and out of our lives, hold the power to tell truth or lies. Can build a bridge or a wall, spoken in foolishness they divide. Conveyed in understanding they unify. This is why I carry a dictionary by my side. Disassemble the literal meaning, enfold in modern discourse. Watch to see if it holds its burden. For there is no hiding intention in expression. 
Misuse reveals their mark as much as missing lines are a sign. A stranglehold has prevailed in silence. Sound bites are shoved into mouths. Conversations are polite scripts. Nothing really matters. Truth is greeted with disbelief. History is rewritten. Ideologies run on repeat until they are believed. Narrowing options, knowledge is lost. Watch your language, for it is the thread that binds humanity. Thank you. That's the voice of Camille Barr, who's just released a book called Rise, in brackets, Democratise. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What was the spark for this book? Trying to understand the concept of happiness. And so that sort of led into understanding the world that we have created because it is the world around us, I think, that either enables that happiness or, or not as well. It might be my age, getting to a certain age and questioning that and observing other people. Also the amount of unhappiness and that I see around. Um, so that made me want to understand, well, what is happiness? What does actually give us joy? It's what makes us want to be here and get up in the morning and keep going. So it's actually very important to, to life. In the book, you write a lot about capitalism. Yes. Can you find happiness in a capitalist system? No, because you can't find happiness in inequality. Whether you're super rich or super poor, I think it's been said before, um, it's the super rich and the super poor that think about money the most. Maybe you can find a bit more comfort in the middle. But we have an eroding middle class. We do have an eroding middle class and... I'm always reminded of Adam Smith's words, um, our desire to be loved and to be lovely. And within a capitalist society, the things that you might have to do to achieve that wealth erodes at that innate desire to be loved and to be lovely because at the other end of it, you're creating immense poverty and sufferings. In the uh, intro to your book, you say that capitalism is autocratic. Yes. What do you mean by that? That it's top-down, all the decisions that are made, and that the people don't actually get to have the voice, the freedom, or the choices that they think that they have or that they would like to have to be able to actually create that happiness because we get stuck trying to make that thing called money. You're on The Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855am, 3CR Digital, or streaming from 3cr.org.au. My name is Brendan Bonsack, and my guest today is poet and artist Camille Barr, who has just produced a new book called Rise, Democratise. To market, to market. Am I really missing out? I do enjoy something new. The allure of a fantasy, if only for a while. For now I will inquire, after a new line perhaps? The electrifying buzz, its sweet seduction, passes faster than the cost. Another hit please, I ask again, what must I acquire? The ship has sailed, traded around the globe, advanced mankind, left behind the kind. A query for the man, where is the next land? Most live only to get by in a redesign of slavery. By the owners of capital, you are now free to starve. Here stands a prison cell, allowing weekend leave. 
How modern is this market, elite capitalism rules, where imperialism perished, leaving most in the dark? New name, same rules, if only we knew. The next trend is too divine, and off we set once more. To produce, to purchase, if only profit prevails, where does it end? What was the purpose again? Despite all my rage, I'm still just a rat in a cage. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think we've lost a sense of community in, in Western culture anyway? Definitely. To keep us on the treadmill, I suppose. To stop us using our language, our collective knowledge, divide and conquer. It's easier to keep us distracted and consuming. I think we still have very much desire to have community and to want that. But I think when we find that community, we find less need to consume. Where do you think that's heading? The optimist in me likes to say that the desire for community and our humanity will prevail and actually we will go back and try and find that. I know many scientists have thought that perhaps this is as far as life gets, whether it's been on a different planet or anything like that. And um, we have... We don't get past our savagery, but I think that we can. Life is always in motion, so as long as we keep building on that, not in the capitalist ideal of profits, but actually on in ourselves, um, then, yeah, we can get past that. It's interesting you say life is always in motion. You live by the, by the sea. Yes. Do you spend a lot of time gazing? Definitely, yes. Um, what, what does the ocean say to you? It makes you feel small, which is good, because actually when I'm away from the ocean, I feel claustrophobic. So <laughs> I actually like that feeling of being small, because then you don't have to take yourself so seriously. Just keep going and finding new ways, and even if you know, you're looking out and it's a rough sea, it might not be tomorrow if you hold on and realise that change is always happening. Was this an easy book to write? Some days it was and some days it wasn't. The more I was reading and other people's work and finding um, my own interpretation of it, the easier it was and having that time to really think about it, then yes, I found that it just came, but the world is also extremely busy and we get preoccupied in a lot of other things, so... It can be hard in that way to, to be able to write a book, to take that time and um, get over your own self-doubt. Did you sit with the poems for a long time? Um, sometimes it feels like I just sit down and it just pours out. And it was like, wow, I wrote that in like an hour. That's too easy. But actually I was probably reading a book for you know, a week or a month beforehand and it was all building before it came out. It didn't actually just come out. So I probably sit with it for longer than that hour that it may have taken to literally write it. So when you say you read, you were reading other people's books, were you using those as springboards? Yeah, I was just looking at, well, I, I read some economist books because I was trying to understand the world in, in that way how they viewed it and understood it to really draw back to that concept of happiness. So, yes, it was sort of like a springboard for that. So it's a research poetry book? Yes, 
It is. Like a thesis in poetry. Yeah. I, sometimes I like to liken my poems to a short essay. So that I start at the beginning with an idea and I work my way through to see where I um, land. An essay with line breaks. That's right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jacob from A Friday Rave, and I'm also on 3CR's Committee of Management. Now, the community of passionate people that founded 3CR a long time ago made some tough decisions. For a start, they committed themselves and a growing community of listeners to back their vision of owning our station, and in doing so, remaining independent of the government and corporate influence. They did this by fundraising, brick by brick, with working bees, door knocks, on-air drives, and all the rest of it. You've all been there. Now, their commitment has kept 3CR on air for over 40 years. That's a long time even in my life. But now, we need your commitment to keep this great thing going. Now, you can subscribe online at 3cr.org.au or phone us at the station on 9419 8377 or even stop me on the street if you see me at some rally or other and ask me for a membership form. You need to become a member of Melbourne Radical Radio and subscribe. Yes, indeed. If you're not already a 3CR subscriber, get on to remedying that. People-powered radio needs people. So uh, from as little as $35 a year, you can show your support for the station. 3cr.org.au slash subscribe is a great place to start. This is the Spoken Word Program, and we're talking today with poet Camille Barr about her new work, Rise, which examines the possibility of human happiness in a capitalist system. Choosing optimism. I have no reason to give for optimism, other than the hope of survival. But the truth interrupts, quickens my step and steals my breath. It has long been this way, so long I wish almost to wane. To give in, let it be done. Then I hear a small voice. I am not alone. I must go on. Until the final blow, I must stand tall. As if it makes a difference at all. It must. Or at least let it be known. In your readings, did you come across alternative systems? Well, I suppose in a way what the one theme that really kept coming back to me was an alternative system isn't going to be designed by one individual or one small section of the community. If we want a different system, it's going to have to be done collectively by the community. No one person's going to tell you, hey, I just came up with the answer and it's going to be this because we've been down that road before. It comes back to that thing of happiness and that freedom. We need to have control over our lives if we're going to have control over our lives then we need to have a say in the rules of society. Self-determination. Yes, exactly. That mm. doesn't mean you always get your own way, of course, and everybody's screaming at each other, but it means that we need to consider each other and collectively can use our knowledge and probably come up with a better system. Everyone gets their way, not just you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. How realistic do you think that is? As realistic as the desire for survival, which I think is pretty strong. Did you follow the climate protests? I attended them with my children. (laughs) And what do your children feel about the movement? They feel very strongly about it. They're worried about their future and I think it is baffling to them 
that we wouldn't do everything within our power to prevent it. We teach them right and wrong and and then we tell them to ignore it. What do your children think of politicians? Uh, actually, one of them, I think, may want to become one, but that's after he's joined the circus. <laughs> circus is probably good training. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but they have really started to be engaged um, in politics and watching. They're watching the adults, and I think adults need to know that, that they're being watched. I think they probably do. Yes. <laughs> Which is why they're panicking. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. <laughs> we could spend our lives Trying to get things right Gotta ask ourselves Who's deciding I slept right through Convinced all of you and myself till I fell
Alice Knight there with Burn Your Lies. This is Spoken Word on 3CR Community Radio. My guest today is Camille Barr, talking about her new book of poetry, Rise, Democratize. Ideals of inconsistency. I beg of you, tell me the truth. I want to know it all. Gently peel it back, not so fast. Let me catch my breath. Step back on second thoughts. Lie to me, lie to me. Spare me the brutality. Wrap it in a wishful thought. What we really ask. Shades of truth, filtered light, hidden shadows. We just want a peaceful night. Confirmation of a good life. To see the light. But first, though, we must know the night. What is the night to you? Understanding our darker side, I suppose. Not as in evil but in understanding that sometimes our self-interest can lead us to not behave in the best way. We actually need to acknowledge that so that we can move past it, to know it, Um, because once we know it, then we can understand it and we can change it. Do you think that plays out as a bigger picture in Australia as a whole, in the sense that we haven't really properly confronted our colonial Yes, because we don't want to be the villain. We're like, but I'm not a bad person. It's that that goes back to what Adam Smith, we want to be loved and lovely. We need to be able to feel that we are good. We didn't acknowledge their vast knowledge and we didn't build on that. I think um, the seeds we have sown are rearing their head and it's not as nice as we would have hoped for them to be. So, yes, we do run away from that. Um, But by acknowledging that past doesn't make us bad. That's good. Did you write when you were younger? Yes, um, always, actually. I was always writing um, poetry. I was just since the age of nine, since I was introduced to it at school, and I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is such an incredible way to express ideas and um, put all those thoughts down. So I just wrote it all the time um, and only really decided to take it seriously. Well, if you want to put it in a career kind of box um, a few years ago. But the capitalist yeah. notion of a Yeah, career. the capitalist notion of it really, isn't it? I'm happy to give it away for free (laughs) if I can live for free. (laughs) A difficult bind because we're all in it. Yeah, that's right. You can't actually escape it. Um, That's part of knowing the night, I suppose. Like, yes, I may not agree with it, but I still understand that for now I have to live within it. Where can people buy the book? Um, At sparrowpoetry.com.au. Um, so sparrowpoetry.com.au is your website. Is my website. But they can also just go into their local bookshop and ask them to order it in, and it can be ordered that way as well, yeah. Thank you for coming in today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope it goes well. Thank you. Thanks. My guest today on Spoken Word has been Camille Barr. Camille's new book, Rise, is available in bookstores by order or visit www.sparrowpoetry.com.au We also heard from Desiree Della Giacomo, who will be in Melbourne from the 11th of October uh, doing two gigs and a workshop. 
visit www.melbournespokenword.com for details of that. To take us out, this is Kelsey Berrington with Money. I am Brendan Bonsack. Thank you for listening. Race for the chase of all the money And we wake up early and get home late Because our boss made us stay back late Don't you want to scream in his face That one day you'll make it out of this place But the payslip's not coming You're turning pockets inside out When dreams are fading And hope is all replaced with doubt Your bank is running dry don't know the how, the who or why And you don't know if you're gonna pay your rent on time We say hey, 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 hey Get away for just a day Doesn't matter Anyway, we may not have any money But we're doing okay We say hey, 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 hey Get away for just a day Doesn't matter Anyway, we may not have any money But we're Get away for just a day Doesn't matter